0: Hi, everybody. It's good to see you. I'm um, glad you're here. I'm glad I'm here. Um, I'm going to start off by telling a brief brief story about, about childhood um, and the hopes and dreams that I had to be a, a marine biologist. I was obsessed with, you know, as a child uh, with thinking about being a marine biologist. Um, I did, did everything I could to prepare for the future. I had a aquariums uh, plural um, like plural plural like I had like five or six aquariums going on at the same time of all different fish I had had books on fish I memorized fish I'm good at fish if you, you and I ever go to an aquarium I can tell you I I'm confident I can tell you every single fish or their family um, that they come from um, at the, the age of 12 if I got certified as a school sc- Scuba diver. Uh, By the age of 14, I was a master. Diver, I, I did. I'm, I'm a plan ahead preparation type of guy, and if I was going to be a marine biologist, I was going to be awesome at it. Um, the problem is, is that I was from Ohio, and um, there aren't, you know, too many opportunities to be in the ocean, you know, in Ohio until I was 15. Um, I got to go to South Carolina, and I, I thought it'd be awesome to go deep sea fishing, and so I, I, I with my family, this boat for eight hours um, to go deep sea fishing. And um, the ocean is the thing I, I prepared myself for. It was like my hopes and my dreams and my aspirations and who I was going to become, you, you know, as a man. And how we get on this boat and I'm telling my parents it's going to be okay. And I'm telling my family it's going to be great. You know, we're, we're so excited. on this boat. I'm on, and how we start to go out on the harbor, and here's the thing the the ocean was calm (laughs) we're going on the harbor it's the first time i've been on a boat and it just barely rocks i was like oh lord i i just instantly i was sick And then I was was like, oh, no, this is not good. And we're still in the harbor. And then we start to go out. And I'm like, I want to turn around. And we're going to be on this boat for eight hours. And we go out there, and it just starts doing its thing, you know? And it's just like, it was game over for me. And it was in this moment um, that it kind of, like, hit me. You are never going to be a marine biologist. And... um, I remember being on this boat and I was heartbroken because I was like, the, the thing that I want most is not happening. And then furthermore, I feel helpless and I feel powerless and I'm on this ship and no matter how much I cry or complain or throw up over the side... The boat is going to continue on doing what the boat is going to do. And it, at the end of eight hours, we will come back. But until then, the captain kept coming up to me and saying, just stare at the horizon. Just stare at the horizon because the, the horizon is a thing that, 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 that if you stare at, it's like a stable point. And he's just like stare at the horizon, but I couldn't stare at the horizon because I am like vomiting so much. And I felt so hopeless and powerless. This was the first time that I completely felt out of control and small. And since that point, I have felt it a lot. Um, being human, we often feel out of control and we often feel small. In today's time, in today's culture, in today's politics, in today's problems, we should feel small and powerless There is a lot happening, that there's a bunch of us that we are afraid of the future. We're afraid of what could happen or what hasn't happened or what had happened. There's a bunch of us that are kind of, you know, on a ship and we feel out of control or just hoping to just stare at the horizon just to get through it. Um, The book of Isaiah is a profound book, and this um, book is what our sermon series has been based around the past couple weeks, primarily Isaiah 40. Because the prophet Isaiah, he's talking to people that that are in the same place as Isaiah us. Um, he's talking to people who feel completely out of control, and he keeps saying the same thing over and over and over again of, here's the answer to your problem. It's simple. Behold the face of God. Behold the face of God. In this time, you know, in this time of chaos, in this time of uncertainty, in this time that we don't have the answer, the answer is simple. Look on the face of God. So our church has been doing this sermon series and it's been beautiful. Pastor Allen, um, he he did this whole sermon on on how God is like the God of the galaxies and atomic particles and I mean like beautiful bigness. And then then Pastor Stetson, he t- talked about how the big God comes down and he's st- and he's the shepherd, and all this good stuff. And then Isaiah 40 comes to an end um, by talking about how God is the everlasting God. He's the everlasting God. So it goes in, he's really big, and then he comes here, and then he's the everlasting God. And so today, we're going to talk about how this huge God, this tender God, invades timeline. Right? So so from the beginning, I'm going to apologize to you. I am sorry. We are talking about time, and time is confusing. But time is important, especially when talking about God, because we often cop out when we say God is outside of time. But this isn't true. So, I'm so excited to be talking about this topic. Uh, it begins in Isaiah 40, chapter, uh, verse 28. Um, so if you have your Bibles, please turn to it. Um, before we pop the passage up, though, just a bit about the context of Isaiah 40 and um, just the book of Isaiah in general. Um, Academically, the book of Isaiah is broken up into two parts. The first part of Isaiah, the second part of Isaiah. The first part of Isaiah is 39 chapters. Um, The first 39 chapters, they're all about how God is gonna clean house. How if you do not turn your hearts to God, bad things are going to happen, you know? And then the the second part of Isaiah, the final 27 chapters, they're all about how God's going to bring you back together, how God's going to heal it. Something happens between chapter 39 and 40, like horrible things happen. And so everything that was prophesied in 39 chapters happens. And then Isaiah 40 happens. A pretty cool Parallel here it has. Is. Um, so Isaiah has a total of 66 chapters. Uh, the first 39 are about how how you need to turn your hearts towards God, or bad things happen, and then the final 27 chapters are all about how God's going to bring bring this full circle, and He's going to restore you for a total of 66. Bu- uh, Chapters. The Bible as a whole has 66 books in the Bible. The first 39 chapters are called the Old Testament. The, The final 27 are the New Testament. It's all about how God's bringing this full circle. See what I'm saying here. The book of Isaiah is brilliant. And the second part, the second part of Isaiah is chapter 40. This is like the first chapter of the New Testament. See, it's already confusing, but it's good. So Isaiah, is this, Isaiah 40 is this turning point. There's these 39 chapters of horrible, right? And then 40 happens. And it's like, but everything's going to be okay because God is here. Um, so open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28 through 31. And so as a congregation, here we go. Do you not know... Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired and weary and young—I've lost. And his understanding, no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This is beautiful. It starts out by like this like idea, like, do you not know? have you not heard that the Lord is the everlasting God, right? He kind of almost assumes that you've heard this. It's like, hey, idiot, haven't you heard this before? Do you not know that God is the everlasting God? And whenever I think about this term, the everlasting, Lasting, I f- f- feel it's similar, like to the Energizer Bunny, right? It keeps going and going and going and going and going and going. And it doesn't ever grow tired, or right? It's this idea of ever. And a bunch of us would say, yes, absolutely, God is the infinite God. He has no beginning, and he has no end, and, and he's this huge God that fills the galaxies. And, and so for me, whenever I talk about terms of the infinite, things get crazy. Okay? Because for me, the idea of the infinite God is, is so unexplainable. It's like you know, if I tell my kids, I'll say, guys, I love you. And they'll say, I love you more. And then I'll say, I love you more. And they say, I love you times infinity. And I'll say, I love you times infinity times infinity. And they'll say, I love you times infinity, infinity, infinity. What does that mean? Nothing. Um so let's talk about the idea of the infinite. what is infinite It doesn't have a finite right which means okay um, here's an example if I had a a, 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 a um, if I had a l- l- library of an infinite amount of books okay and then I broke the infinite amount of b- books into the odd books and the even books books, and then I gave you all of the even books to take home. How many books do you have at home? The answer is an infinite amount. And then if I ask you, how many books do I still have? The answer is an infinite amount of books. Say if you got inspired and you pulled off a whole bunch of books from the shelf and you plowed through 500 of them, and then you got done and you brought them back, and you say, here, you can have 500 books back. How many books do I have? An infinite amount of books. How many books do you have after giving me 500? An infinite amount of books. No matter how we talk about the infinite amount of books, no matter how much you have or give back, it's still infinite. The idea of the infinite does not compute, okay? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't hit home. It doesn't have skin on it right? It takes our brains to a place that is just not helpful. And this is why Isaiah does not say, do you not know? Have you not heard that God is the infinite God? He doesn't say that. He says he's the everlasting God. God. You see, there's a difference between the infinite and everlasting. The infinite supersedes time and space. The infinite does not invade timeline. The everlasting walks on timeline. Timeline is the playground of the everlasting. If you do not have time, you do not have the everlasting. Everlasting. This is important. The Bible tries hard to kind of talk about this idea that God invades time. He is the alpha. That means the beginning, and beginning points to a beginning. There's time. And he is the omega. He is the end. And he is everything in between the beginning and the end. He is both, and he plays in this whole space. This is the idea of the everlasting. The idea of the everlasting is a really big idea. It means he's been here, okay? And it's like, well, yeah, he's been here. It's like, no, he's been here. He's been here and he's been involved. And this is really big to me. He isn't the infinite who is kind of oversaw. He's been here and he's been involved with everybody. I have something very special between God God and I, he and I talk. He, he hears my prayers. He knows the fears that I have. He knows how many hairs I have on my head. He knew me before I was born. He and I have something special, but it's not special at all because he's had that with every single person who has been on the face of the earth. He's been involved like if you think about it, he he was there. He was there when people created fire for the first time and said, "Wow, fire." He's like, "I know." You know? I mean, he was he was there when Pharaoh was born. You know? He was there when every Pharaoh died. He was there when kingdoms were created and fall and fell he was there at the i mean like he was there when abraham lincoln was a teenager he talked to him he was there with malcolm x he was there during the spanish inquisition he was there with all the popes like they knew him like knew him like i know him that blows my mind and for me like to think about the idea of he knows people. He knows the story. He's seen it all. He's been there. He is the everlasting God. Doesn't that seem exhausting? It does. It seems exhausting to me, like I'm exhausting. And The friends that I have would say, you're exhausting. And the idea that God knows how exhausting I am And how exhausting you are because you are high maintenance, you know? And, like, to know you, it's a big deal. And he's known everybody from the beginning of time. He knew Donald Trump at the age of four, you know? He knew Hillary Clinton when she was 12, you know? Like, that just blows my mind. Both of them ponder him. Wow. He is the everlasting God. He knows stuff. He's been there. And he's been involved. The idea of the everlasting crashes God into timeline and it says he's been involved. This is big. So then we're going to go on a bit into um, the, the 29th verse here. So here we go. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. There's this idea, like to me, like to know everybody and to be involved. I was talking to a friend, friend of mine who who kind of everything is just like really hard for her and she was talking about how how god has just been faithful to her and and she says you know but you know if i were him i'd just be tired of helping me out so much you know, i'd just be tired because of all he's been doing and you know shouldn't he be focusing on somebody else no our god does not grow tired in the idea of the everlasting god the second part of this passage says, and his understanding no one can fathom. How is this even possible? It's very easy to be, to see this, because if you are someone, if you are the everlasting God, and you have known everyone before they were even born, if you are in in their walk, and they talk to you, and you talk to them, and your story continues through the beginning of time to the end of time, you know stuff. The things he understands, the things he has compassion for, the people he has compassion for, the situations that you think are going to shatter the earth, he's been there. He's done that. He's seen the economy collapse millions of times. He is not afraid. He has seen empires fall. He is not afraid. The understanding that God has comes from a place of been there, done that. I'm here. I am the everlasting God. This is beautiful, and this is good. So continuing continue on. So... um Wait, I'm I'm somewhere. I'm not sure where, where I am right now, so I'm just going to shoot from the hip. Um, so the verse goes on, and it says um, something like, he gives strength to the weary, and he increases the power of the weak. And this is a brilliant concept, and this is a brilliant idea to end Isaiah 40 with because of this. So, So you have this everlasting God who has been engaged in timeline forever, and in the power that he gives and the strength that he has, he chooses to focus on who? The weak and the powerless. He wants to call up the weak. And in biblical context and in biblical times, this simply is not what gods are supposed to do. Um, God's in biblical timeline, they always side on the side of the powerful. They always side on the side of the conquering kingdoms. They always are aligned with the people who are doing awesome. The people who are doing well in the countries that are doing well, they always claim to have God behind them, the blessings of God behind them. And this is very interesting in this passage that says he gives power to who? The weak, not the strong. This is paradoxical. I love this. The Bible is paradoxical. The gospel is paradoxical. It's the upside down everything. In Bible times, they have this thing that is very common. Um, in different cultures, they serve different gods. And the different gods have their temples within the heartbeat of the prominent city of that culture. And then inside the temples, they would b- build these st- St- statues of the gods um, that that culture serves. So you would have a dominant culture, then you would have a city, and then you would have a temple inside the city, then inside this, the temple there'd be a statue of the primary god that they s- served. This is important. So so everyone did this during Bible times, and there's hundreds of different cultures and hundreds of different gods who have this thing happening. So whenever a country would conquer another country, the thing they would do at the end is go to the temple, and they would sack the temple, then they'd take the statue of the god, and they would bring it home. They would take the statue of the God home and put it inside of their temple. The p- powerful countries, they would have a whole c- collection of, uh, 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 of the other people's g- Gods. They believed that they had control over these gods, and that these gods would do whatever they would say. And and these these countries, these not like the Persians, the Assyrians, and uh, you know, as an example, would have a whole co- collection of the other people's gods that they would have control over that that that, that they owned. And so for a country to rebuild itself, for a country to come back from the ashes, the first thing that they have to do is go get their God back from the people who conquered them. But if you didn't do that, you couldn't rebuild. This is why our God is different from the essence of Hebrew theology and from the essence of the Ten Commandments and who God is, there's this thing that he says, don't make any images of me. Don't make any statues of me. Do not paint any pictures of me. I cannot be owned. So if you break into the Hebrew temple because the hebrew people got conquered always um like they're constantly being conquered and here come the assyrians and they're trying to find the god of the hebrew people he's not there he can't be captured he cannot be taken home he cannot be owned he cannot be controlled the hebrew people didn't have the fear of someone else taking their god away They didn't have the fear of having to go and bring him back home. They did not have a fear of, do you know what I'm saying? Because God is the everlasting God. He is not going anywhere. He chooses to be with the weak. This is brilliant and this is good because he cannot be conquered. He cannot be forced into something. chooses who he chooses, and he chooses the conquered. And this is beautiful. This is God. However, there are some of us, there's a bunch of us, there's a ton of us, who are afraid if things don't happen perfectly, that g- g- God could be going a- away. Or if, if we don't do everything correct, or if the incorrect p- person becomes president, God g- God could go away. Or if, if, do you know what I mean? Like, we have this, this fear that God can be taken from us. Like, like, the image of God can be pulled away. That's not who our God is. He is, do you not know? Have you not heard? He's the everlasting God. He's not going anywhere. And He knows stuff, you know? He's not afraid. This is huge. Going on into the third part of this passage, here's what it says. Even, help me out here, guys. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. The answer that Isaiah is saying here is just simple. He's just saying, man, if you are tired, if you are burnt out, if you are exhausted, if you are afraid, if you don't know, he says, hope in the Lord. Hope in the Lord. Hope in the Lord. Well, that's easy to say, right? You know, I've hope in the Lord. But what does that mean? What? tangible thing does that give us? What is the hope of the Lord? Um, the term hope in Hebrew, it's it's kavah. Um, and kavah isn't just this, like, this very ethereal hope. Kavah means to, like, sit in and be patient. Kavah means to, to just see. Kavah means to be at peace. Uh, Kavah is big. It's just not like this ethereal hope. It means just sit in the patience of God. So so this idea of, of those who have hope in the Lord will gain strength, those who come into this understanding of He knows stuff, He's the everlasting God, and He never grows tired. I got my eyes on him, and I want to see what he will do. That seeing God act and seeing God do what God does is the most inspiring, strength-gaining thing that a human being could ever participate in, especially in the storm. You see, the idea of kavah is keep your eyes on the horizon. It's like, it's like there's the Bad things happen in here, and you feel like you're going to th- th- throw up the kavah. You know, kavah, eyes on horizon. You know, look out there. Like, like all things are being made new. Chill. This is kavah. And th- th- then it goes on to this idea that, 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 that if you embrace kava, and if you have your hope in the Lord, you will soar on wings like eagles. What does that mean? I mean, that's on every, like, Christian Poster ever you know I will soar on e- w- 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 wings like eagles, who cares i don 't want to fly i 'm afraid of heights, and um, this idea of of soaring on wings like eagles every time an eagle is brought up in Hebrew Hebrew poetry or, or Hebrew Hebrew b- b- books it's, it's it's an eagle soars above the s- s- storm like that's the, the eagles are the only birds that fly. Over the clouds. They don't fly under the clouds. They're not affected by whatever happens down here. The other birds are, they get blown everywhere and they freak out. But the eagle, they bust through the clouds and they soar over the storms. And that's what Isaiah says you who hope in the Lord are doing. You're not affected by this. This is petty, but see what God sees. See what he's doing. Soar above the clouds. Kavah, do you not know? Like, I mean, it's just like, hey, idiot. You know, like again, it's just this, don't you see from the 80,000 foot view, God's doing things. Why are you afraid? This is Isaiah 40, because God's making all things new. What would it be like to soar above the clouds and to not feel every gust and every breeze that comes out? So my son, he was eight, and he, he begged me, he begged me to take him down deep-sea fishing. First of all, I was afraid. Second of all, I'm a good dad. And so I said, yes. And so I take him to San Diego, and we go, go on this boat. And I had a whole bunch of Dramamine. He had a bunch of Dramamine, and I think we're good to go. After all, it's San Diego. How bad can it get? And so we start to go out on the harbor. Harbor is a bad thing for me now. And so we start to go on the harbor, and I was fine. But he says, hey, dad, I think I'm sick. Can, and th- 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 then he said, tell the captain to turn around. And I literally said, oh, buddy, I'm sorry, because we were going out for four hours. And so th- th- we go out on the ocean, and he just turns green. And then he begins doing his th- Thing. And, and I found a five-gallon bucket, and he starts going into a five-gallon b- bucket, and then and I thought it would be awesome to get on top of the ship so he can have a better view of the horizon. And so, so I take my son on top of the boat. The captain is below us, and he... He and Di are on this ship, and I'm holding him, and he's throwing up all over me. And I'm like, buddy, just keep your eyes on the horizon. Keep your eyes on the horizon. And, and we're up there, and it is bad. I'm starting to get sick, but I don't tell him. He doesn't, to this day, ever know that I got sick. And I was, like, dying. I'm holding him, and he's throwing up. And I'm like, keep your eyes on the horizon. Just look at the horizon. And so it was f- four hours of just yuck. And... Then the boat pulls back into the harbor, and, uh, and um, things begin to calm down, and he gets better, and we're going off the boat, and I felt like a horrible parent. I mean, let's be honest. You. I mean, that was going to happen. And so, and he held my hand, and he said, hey, dad, thank you so much for taking me on that boat. I had a good time. And I spoiled because he he enjoyed the experience of experiencing the b- bad things together. It, it was like together, we were above the storm. I was holding him in his vomit and his hard time. And I love him and he loves me and we're in this together. And I knew there was going to be an end. And he trusted me. He had hope in me. He had kava that this would come to an end, and we enjoyed it. He enjoyed it. He taught me to enjoy it. He stared at the horizon. What is the horizon? In the church, it's the easy answer, but for Isaiah, what's the horizon? The answer is the same answer. That's the easy answer in the church. The horizon is always Jesus. Here it is in Isaiah uh, chapter chapter nine. So as a congregation, here we go. For to us, a child is born. For us, the son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Do you see what's happening here? Isaiah calls Jesus the Everlasting father. He is the everlasting father. He is the son. He is the captain on the boat saying, check, keep your eyes on the horizon. And he is the horizon. He is the creator. He is the created. He is the invader of time. He is the infinite. He is the everlasting God. What does this mean for you? I don't know figure it out. But this is the thing that turns the earth on its head, that Isaiah says, this changes everything. When you see that God is the everlasting God, he will give you your strength, he will give you your energy, and you will soar above the clouds. And today is a good day to soar above the clouds because we are all tired of being afraid of everything that happens down here. Isaiah 40 changes perspective. It changes heartbeat. It changes the very essence of how we think about everything. The book of Isaiah is huge, but Isaiah 40 is countercultural and it, it changes perspective. So, I want to give us the time to kind of just experience the whole chapter by itself. Um, so, in this time, I'm going to have the p- passage just sh- 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 show up here. And it's just going to s- slowly um, go through all the text, but it'll take about five minutes minutes to do that. There isn't going to be anything plain in the background. It's just going to be quiet. But I want you guys to see the whole thing and the beauty that it is, the inspiration that it is, and hear it in the context of today, all right? So let's do this together and experience the word of God. Oh, Lord, we thank you that you are here and that you've always been here and that you help establish perspective that's beyond the storm. God, we thank you for your heart for us. We thank you that you pursue us and that you fight for us, that you pick your kids up and you give them strength. God, we thank you for coming here to take our space and that you sacrificed yourself for us so that we may be whole. God, we thank you for your heart, for your inspiration, and that you adopt us into the fold. Give us the perspective that you have, the perspective of humility, the perspective of hope, Teach us what hope in you looks like. The church has participated in the act of communion as the image of hope. It is Kavah at its core. It is God himself coming to earth, breaking his body, pouring out his spirit, saying, I've got this not going anywhere. I know things. And the ch- church from the beginning of the conception of Christianity has broken bread and has shared grape juice or wine, um, symbolic of his body and symbolic of his blood to say, the trust I have is in him. The trust I have is in Jesus and Jesus alone. The trust, the hope, the kavah. And this is what gives the people of God strength. This is what gives the people of God courage. And this is what gives the people of God the ability to fly and soar over the storms. This is who we are as the children of God. So um, the opportunity to come up and participate Paid in communion as um, a st- step of hope, as a pro- proclamation of Kavah, as a as a, a, a um, sacrament, a physical representation of the spiritual reality um, that Christ has given us, is giving us, um, is upon us. Um, that there has been a table or tables that have been prepared for you. Um, It is a table um, that is prepared for people who have been here often. It's for people who have not been here in a very, very super long time. It's for people who think they have it all together. It's also a table for those of you who do not think you have anything together. It's for the people who are afraid. It's for the people who soar above the storms at all times. It's for the people who are going to vote over here and it's for the people who vote over here. This table is for you. It is a proclamation that Jesus is on the throne, that he is the horizon, and that he is the everlasting God, and our trust is in him and him alone. So as this song begins, you are invited to come up and experience the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ.